We've spent the last couple of weeks looking at the idea of grace. Grace is a gift from God that we do not deserve. And the thing we don't deserve is love from a, a holy and perfect God. Yet, somehow, we get it anyways. God loves us without, without end, despite our shortcomings, despite our sin, despite our inability to follow through on showing our love for God. So we looked first at the grace that prevents us from being stuck in a place of separation from God. And, and we had a fancy term for it. It's called prevenient grace or preventing grace. It prevents us from separation from God for eternity. Then we, we looked last week at the grace that lets us be made right with God. This is justifying grace. The stunner from last week is that we can't judge whether someone else is saved or not. We can't look at a person's life and make the final call of whether they deserve heaven or hell. That's just not our job. It is very specifically the job of God alone to judge. I had a mother this week share her story of her son with me. Moms and dads everywhere want the very best for their children. They raise them in the church and want them to have faith and to trust God with their whole lives. But at some point, parents have to say, it's not up to me. It's up to God. It's in God's hands now. So God decides our fate, not our parents, not other people. But the good news is that God is always turned toward us. God is always at the ready to love us and welcome us. We aren't saved by our actions. We can't earn God's love. We simply accept the gift of salvation. So now we wrestle with perhaps the most challenging part of grace. If we can't get grace that lets sinners be saints and we become saved not through our actions but as an unearned gift, how do we live the rest of our lives? What does grace mean a year after I decide to follow Jesus? What does it mean 10 years and 50 years later? Do I become a saint simply by being an older Christian? Am I closer to godliness because I have a Bible and the pages are old and tattered because I've had this Bible from my youth? We are going to get serious with what is called sanctifying grace. Our first scripture comes from the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read here now from uh, Romans chapter 8. This is where Paul is writing to the church in Rome. I invite you to hear now God's word, verses 1 through 14. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And from John 17, 16 through 19, we hear this. This is Jesus praying to God on behalf of his followers. He says of Jesus' followers, They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My boys love to go fishing. Ever since they were little, they have always wanted to catch some fish and pull them out of the water. I think part of it has to do with the town we used to live in. They would have an annual fishing competition in the spring, and if you caught a big one, you could win a, a huge trophy. Early in the morning on the day of the competition, you could see all the trophies lined up, some of them as tall as a person. I think they have always connected fishing with getting big trophies. Uh, their dad, on the other hand, has never been very big on fishing. I've always thought, I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'm not very good at it, so why bother? My grandfather had a house on a lake, and in all the years of all the summers I've spent there, I had only ever caught one fish, and I didn't even catch it right. I saw the fish with my eyes and pulled the line toward the fish. The hook caught on the outside of the fish's mouth. Other than that, I have only caught one other fish, so I am clearly not a pro. Uh, just the other day, the boys went down to a creek with some of their friends, they brought fishing poles along, and what do you know, both of them caught two fish. Uh, Helen was so excited, he had caught his very first fish and then a second. And my oldest son, Davey, pointed out how that he had caught as many fish in one day as I had in my entire life. I think just that one fact was enough for him to feel like he had won one of those enormous trophies taller than he is. Uh, but... I was thinking about how it probably is true that my children are better fishermen than I am. They take the time, they keep at it, they fish even when they can't see any in the water, and that determination is what makes them superior. 
I imagine that the fact that I have never thought of myself as a good fisherman probably contributes to my feelings and my inability. If I don't think that I'm very good at something and then don't try because of it, if I don't work at it, I'm really not going to get any better, am I? seems like the very first step in me getting any better at fishing is to stop thinking about my six and eight-year-old and to just try. You get good at something by trying. Strangely enough, I think the same thing is true when it comes to religion. Many of us, when we are young, don't think much about being good at something. We paint and draw and dance, not because we're really good at it, but because we just like it. We enjoy those things. But as we get older, we start realizing some people have a real knack for things, sports or art or math, and that maybe we aren't so good at it. That same principle seems to be at work in religion too. Some people are just really good at following the rules. It's easy for some folks to be uh, given a boundary and to just abide by it. For others, they see a boundary and they feel compelled to cross it. Religion is often taught to us as something that is all about the rules. But grace, the very heart of our religion, isn't really about the rules. A lot of us want to think of ourselves as good people. Often we use rules to help us feel good about ourselves. Look, I followed the rules. I obeyed. I must be good. We might even compare ourselves to others. And when we see we've done more things in the good category than the other person, we think, all right, I've done it. I'm a good person because at least I'm better than that other person. You can even go online and take a, a test to see if you're a good person. What will you find? Questions like, what would you do if you saw a person crying? Or would you lie to make someone feel better? Or how often do you lie? We think if we help people and don't do too many bad things, then we must be good, right? The more I think about Christianity, the more I see that the rules are trying to point to something bigger than the rule itself. Rules around behavior are not meant to make you feel bad or suck all the joy out of life. Rules are a helpful way to point in the right direction. They aim us toward a way to live with other people, to have positive relationships and mutually benefit one another. We don't destroy each other by use of the rules. We are meant to bless one another through this code of conduct. I think that's actually what a lot of parents want for their children. The thinking goes that if they follow the rules, if they are good little boys and girls, they will grow up to help others. It's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As I think about my own children growing up and how how they might treat others, I absolutely want them to be good. I don't want them to drink or swear or lie or murder. But probably more important than that is that I want them to always be thinking of others. Can they do more good by adjusting how they live their lives? Well, thinking about my boys got me thinking about my own dad. I've never really thought much about what my dad wanted me to do or to be. I remember when I was a young boy learning what my dad had studied in college. My dad was a very successful executive in business, so I had always assumed that he had studied business in school. Uh, I was truly floored when I found out he had actually studied religion in college. He had told me once that he seriously considered becoming a pastor himself 
after he graduated. But he had married young and had his first child before graduation, so the more pressing need after school was to make money. That ended up taking him down a, a very different path from what he first expected. Uh, but I've always wondered if that was playing in the background when I myself chose to become a pastor. But anyways, I, I, I called him this week and asked him what it was he thought about when I was young. What did he want me to be? And his answer was very simple. He wanted me to follow God. He wanted me to be saved and to be set apart to God. That's it. No requirements, no career path, just be consecrated to God. So what does it look like to live a life consecrated to God? Does that mean be good, avoid swearing and drinking, and we're all set? John 17, in the verse we read earlier today, is the only time Jesus ever uses the word sanctification. Seems strange, doesn't it? When we hear sanctification, we are supposed to think of being set apart, to be consecrated and dedicated to holy use. Yet Jesus only uses that word once. Makes me curious about what our life is supposed to look like. What is it that Jesus actually wants us to do and to be? If you study it long enough and close enough, you'll find that just because Jesus doesn't use the word sanctification, it doesn't mean he isn't talking about it. Over and over, Jesus talks about growth and obedience and victory and power at work in our lives. These are all things that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us as we live the Christian life. Someone did a little bit of math looking at Jesus' words about the work God does for us. That's justification, the way we get saved by God, versus the work that God does in us. That's sanctification and how our lives are changed because of God's work in us. The rate is for every one time Jesus talks about what God did for us, justification, he talks at least twice about how God works in us, changing our lives for the better. So the goal Jesus has for us is a, a better life, a life that is more godly as we live more like how God would live. It's summed up in this verse from Matthew 5.48. Be holy, therefore, as your heavenly Father is holy. Live a changed life. I think most of us here there, be good, follow the rules, and you'll be on your way to heaven. But is that really all there is to sanctification? Just be better, try harder, choose the right thing, even if everything inside of you is screaming to go in the other direction. Is that it? Well, maybe that's all there would be if it were not for sanctifying grace. See, grace is still the key factor in all this. We know intuitively that we can't be holy like God is holy. We can't ever accomplish that. No matter how amazing our past has been, how perfect our childhood or exemplary our parents have been, we are going to do things God doesn't want us to do. That seems confusing to us because we know that when we are saved, we are, as Romans 6 says, no longer slaves to sin. That sounds like once we get saved, our lives should be free of sin. We look at today's scripture in Romans 8 in here, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And think, well, there it is. Sin means death. If I do something wrong after, after I'm saved, I lose it all. 
but we completely miss the point of the passage. Just a, a few verses earlier, Paul says in Romans, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The goal is not perfection through our own power, forcing our lives to conform to the rules by sheer willpower. No, that's, that's an impossible burden. The goal is a mind set on the spirit. I like to think of it this way. We know that we can be made right with God by grace. It is a gift God makes available to all people. When we choose God and place our trust in him, we are saved. God chooses to make us righteous in his eyes, even though we still aren't perfect. Now, the rest of our lives aren't going to be perfect either, but the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, do you trust God? Do you trust that he really makes you righteous even though you aren't right? If your mind is set on God, it's almost as if we are getting saved over and over and over again. Every time we mess up, will we turn back to God? Will we trust in his grace to make us righteous? Now, don't misunderstand me. We only get saved once, but it may look like, from our viewpoint, like we are being saved once more from our own wayward self. I find, for me, that sanctification is less a process of forcing myself to better follow the rules and more a process of trusting more deeply and fully that God loves me no matter what, no matter how good or bad my behavior may be. I know that's going to make some people apoplectic. What? But holiness means we are holy. We are better than others. We live the right way and those others are wrong. No, grace means even though we are all wrong, all of us, fully and completely wrong, we are still loved and our lives actually get better and more holy when we stop thinking of ourselves as better than others. Holiness means we are set apart not to point out the flaws in others, but that we are set apart by God's love. Just as grace allows us to be saved, sanctification also happens by grace. Our works cannot make us more righteous. Only God's choice to love us and make us his holy people can move us in that direction. That's why Jesus uses the analogy of the vine and the fruit in John 15. We are a branch of the vine and God is the vine itself. It is impossible for us to bear fruit as branches when we are disconnected from God. The fruit comes all by itself when we're connected to God. After the tropical storm last week, a bunch of branches came down off the streets, uh, off the trees here at the church and at my home. Uh, we moved them to the edge of the property so the town could pick them up on Monday. And maybe I should have known that the town couldn't pick up all the branches of every single home all in one day, but it's been a week now, and all the leaves on those branches that fell down are all turning brown. They are old and crinkled like it's the end of winter. That's what it looks like when we are disconnected from God. The goal is not force yourselves to, be, to behave better that you may be more holy and righteous and perfect. That never works. The goal is be more connected to God. And when you, when you find yourself disconnected, for whatever reason, turn back. Come back to God. Let your life bear the fruit of trust in God. That's sanctification. Trusting God more. 
It's not an impeccable record of right living. It's pressing in more to connect with God. It's about the new heart that God gives us as we learn to choose God more and more often, no matter what is happening in our lives. We have a, a men's group that meets every couple of weeks, and just the other day we were talking about praying to God, how it can be a, a real challenge to have a consistent routine and to be faithful to pray every morning or every evening. And those are the kinds of things we usually think of for a holy person. They pray every day. Oh, they, they must be holy. But we found that the real goal of prayer is not a routine, but to be connected with God. And to connect with someone means we have to have two-way communication. We speak and we listen. I think holiness is the same. It's not about rules. It's about this relationship with God where we speak and we listen. So I wonder, are you listening for God? That's what dwelling in the Spirit means. We listen for God and our heart is shaped and changed by God speaking into our lives. A father sent his son Aaron off to his first junior high camp. In the middle of the week, the dad was called to the camp. Aaron, he had learned, had started to assault another kid but had been held back by his friends. He was unrepentant, wanted to leave camp, pulled together stuff and shoved it into the car. And this daddy asked him for a, a talk with him before they drove away. And so they sat there on these two large rocks in the middle of the woods. And Aaron, the dad asked, is there any voice inside you telling you what you should do? Yes, he nodded. And what's the voice telling you? That I should stay and work it out. Can you identify that voice? Yeah, he said. It's God. Aaron, the dad said, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that happened. God spoke to you, and you were able to recognize him. Now, Aaron still didn't want to do the right thing, but he had stopped to listen for God's voice, and he actually heard it. Eventually, he did end up staying and making things right. That was a step toward sanctification, toward turning to God by listening and responding. And you can do that too. You can move toward holiness, not by demanding of yourself that you follow impossible to keep laws, but by connecting and reconnecting with God. Listen for his voice, the voice of love that you might know his grace that sanctifies you. Amen? Will you join me in prayer? God, we pray that we might hear your voice more today. That we might be people who seek grace in our lives, not by following rules, but by listening for your voice. By hearing you. Speak into our lives today, Lord. That we might hear your voice of love and that we might, we might listen hear, and respond. Thank you, Lord, that you give an opportunity to all people everywhere to turn back to you, no matter what they've done in the past, no, no matter what they've done since accepting you into their lives. You call us to be in connection with you. So, Lord, help us to find those ways to connect with you. For those that are 
separated from you because of uh, distractions, because of the pandemic, because of job loss or financial struggles. Lord, we pray that those things might be put in their proper place so that we can find first our connection with you. Lord, for those that are sick and in hospitals, for those that are fretting over politics and all that's happening in our world, Lord, put those things into their proper place that we might seek you and listen for your voice. Be at work in our lives, Lord God. Help us to seek your truth, your life in our lives, not our own course, not our own will, Lord God, but your will be done. And so we pray now, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.